minimizers. Welcome to the Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. My name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I'm Ryan Nicodemus. And together we are the Minimalists. Ryan, what makes a group of people a cult? We've heard that Jonestown, Heaven's Gate, and Nexium were dangerous cults, but mm. what about Scientology? Is that a cult? How about people who belong to certain religions? How about soul cyclers or even Swifties? Are they cult members? And could minimalism turn into a cult? Our culture tends, tends to provide some pretty flimsy answers to questions of cult influence, mostly having to do with vague talk of brainwashing. But the true answer has nothing to do with freaky mind control wizardry or Kool-Aid. That's what we're talking about today with Amanda Montel, author of this new book. I'll hold it up if you're watching on YouTube. It's called Cultish, The yeah. Language of Fanaticism. Heck Amanda, yeah. thanks for being here. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. I love the cover too, by the way. I appreciate that. It's very cool. A lot went into that. <laughs> Thank you very much. I can tell. Yeah. It's very of the moment as well. Yeah. The, mm, the that's a buzzword. Of uh, the moment. Timely. Uh, Zeitgeist. Yeah. Ooh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, it just uh, I vibrates with its frequency. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's gonna upgrade your DNA. That's and, right. uh, mm. Ascend you to the next evolutionary level above human. Well, <laughs> what? <laughs> ours is a listener-driven show. I thought we'd start with a question that would open everything up for discussion here. Malabama, we have a question from Allison on Facebook. Who decides whether a cult is a cult? I mean, is CrossFit a cult? Now, Amanda, we also had other similar questions about this. In fact, fights in the comment section about, well, obviously Trump supporters are a cult. And that, no, uh, Biden supporters are a cult. Mm -hmm. And then vaccine supporter, pro-vax, anti-vax, they must be cults. And there's all of this language of otherizing people and then mm. calling it a cult. We use that pejoratively. Yeah. You're not using the term necessarily pejoratively. Not necessarily. Um, and that's why I titled the book Cultish, because mm. sometimes it's useful to hedge your language and there are reasons for that. But we're living in a pretty cultish time, as you described. Mm. You know, there are so many different ideological schisms and camps regarding politics and COVID and all of the rest. Um, but I was hoping when I began my research for this book that my personal understanding of the word cult would become clearer and more succinct. But in fact, the opposite happened. Happened, mm. And it only became hazier and more nebulous because the word cult has become so subjective and so sensationalized that most of the scholars that I talked to for this book had different interpretations of the word. There wow. is no hard and fast definition of the word cult, what separates it from a traditional religion or another tightly bound, ideologically connected group. It it really has so much to do with cultural normativity. Um, there's this old religious studies joke that cult plus time equals religion. Mm. Um, and that's why a lot of scholars will use terms like alternative religion or fringe religion but I find that those terms, while less judgmental, don't really get at the secular, everyday, quote unquote, cults that we all follow, including the Soul Cycle and the CrossFit and social media gurus minimalists. Yeah. Um, and so in the book, I wanted to talk about this wide spectrum of groups, starting with the most infamous, notorious, destructive ones like Jonestown and Heaven's Gate, inching towards religious cults like 
Scientology, Shambhala Buddhism, then moving on to multi-level marketing cults and pyramid schemes, then talking about fitness cults and finally social media cults and specifically talking about how language is the ultimate power tool for all of these different groups. Man, I love, uh, I feel like you're reclaiming the definition of cult because it is such a pejorative uh, uh, when, when we use it usually. And, you know, uh, to, to, basically what I got from your book was like, hey, look, we all belong to a cult. <laughs> you need to choose which cult you want to belong to. Definitely. Now there are some cults that are more dangerous than others. Absolutely. Um, but, but you know, when you look at CrossFit, that's the example brought up here in the question. Um, you actually talk about CrossFit in your book. So do. do you want to expand a little bit on like why, like a, Yes. Uh, to put it plainly, CrossFit is a cult, but, but explain, but explain kind of why it's a cult sure. and not such a bad thing. Well, and, and when I first read that, I was like, well, I, even the question, I'm like, that's absurd. Right. Yeah. But then when I dive into your book, it's like, oh, maybe it's not that absurd. Right. Well, here's the thing is that the word cult has not always carried such sinister undertones. In fact, our modern understanding of a cult as something inherently negative was really shaped by media coverage of cult tragedies like Jonestown and the Manson family murders. Mm. Um, before then, the word cult was not really as discussed as it is now. Um, cults, if you will, fringe religions were not on our mainstream cultural radar. They weren't a major priority for law enforcement or anyone mm -hmm. else. Um, so really sensationalized media coverage of fringe religions, particularly the ones that end in tragedy because not all of them do, has shaped our perception of this word. But not every group that has been called a cult or could be called a cult is inherently bad. And often the word cult is not enough to describe what particular dangers or risks mm. or Wacky ideas are on the table. So while we may not all agree, because again, this word is so subjective that Heaven's Gate and CrossFit are full-blown cults, we can at the very least agree that they are cultish. Mm, and yeah. even if we might not all cop to, you know, the idea that we're all in a full-blown cult, um, we're, we're at least all susceptible to cultish influence. It imbues our everyday lives. So in the book, I do talk about um, some of the language techniques that shape that cultish culture of CrossFit. Mm. How's that for an alliteration? <laughs> um, and how those linguistic techniques can work destructively in CrossFit, but also how the stakes aren't clearly as high yeah. as they are in a group like Scientology or Jonestown. Yeah. I, I had some friends uh, visiting over the weekend and I was uh, reading your book and I brought up to them like I was like, wow, I never really thought of CrossFit as a cult. And they were like, oh, my goodness. Like they had this whole story about how they had a friend, especially in L.A. Like L.A. has this like particular oh, yeah. um, like CrossFit brand, I guess, or like uh, community that's like really, really extreme. Like they're into it and it makes sense. Like they're, they're part of a community. They're all kind of working towards the same thing. They're trying to be healthy. Um, but they were telling me a story about how a friend in L.A. invited them to CrossFit and both of them basically just ended up vomiting. Yeah, well, injury in CrossFit is not only, you know, accepted, it's encouraged. They have mascots like Pukey the Clown and Uncle Rabdo, <sighs> yes. which, you know, oh lionize God. sometimes like life-threatening injury. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it makes sense that people are turning to CrossFit in this almost spiritual way because in our culture, you know, I'm hardly the first to point out that affiliation with traditional mainstream religion, you know, the churches and other houses of worship, 
membership that maybe we grew up in as kids or that our parents were a member of are not really where younger people are turning to for community, ritual, fulfillment, spirituality. And we all need this. We all need this. We're not craving this less. Like these are fundamental human drives. The answers to like, how did we get here? Where are we going? How do we make our lives more meaningful? How do we connect with one another? Mm -hmm. We've always participated in sometimes really you know, irrational metaphysical rituals in order to find comfort in what is like a really confounding human existence, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And we're looking to traditional religion less. And so we're turning more to alternative groups, to brands, to influencers, and as the Harvard Divinity School has found in much research, to fitness studios. They Mm. are these new houses of worship, these studios of worship where your instructors are almost like your pastor, your self-help guru, your best friend, your personal trainer. They fill a lot of these roles for you and are blurring those lines in a way that doesn't necessarily have to be destructive, but oftentimes really can be because they're elevated to this godlike status. Yeah, sometimes. And, And I do want to be clear, like we're not saying CrossFit's bad. We're not, we're not saying that if, you know, if you belong to a a cultish type group, that that's bad. No, it's just more about getting clear on what it is that you're actually in, which to me is kind of freeing because it helps me like, totally. it helps me, um, just be more deliberate with these different groups and things that I, that I associate with. A hundred percent. I mean, I was a little bit afraid going into this project already as a skeptic that I would come out more cynical, more misanthropic, like, oh my God, there are cults everywhere. Mm. I can't leave my house. Um, but instead I actually left with a much greater sense of compassion for people who engage in groups like this. I am by no means encouraging people to disaffiliate from the cultish groups they might be a part of, right. um, the, the ones toward the more ethical end of the spectrum, at least, you know, like the wellness circles and the minimalists or whatever, <laughs> you know, this is how we find our meaning in yeah. life. Um, it's not about being wary of those groups. It's about being aware of specifically the language techniques that might signal that you're a part of a quote unquote cult that's more on that destructive end. And if yeah. so, like you'll be able to recognize those red flags and pull back or cross check or fact check, have that sort of skeptical twinkle in your eye that tells you like there's some level of make-believe here. And if you're not allowed to participate casually or have one foot in and one foot out, um, then that's probably a sign that this might not be the healthiest group for you. Pukey the clown. That's we need to have a mascot like that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, what's crazy is they were telling me how they like the bathrooms right there in the front, too. So like it's people know you're going to vomit, when, yeah. when, but it's a badge of honor, right? It's like an, it's like a, an, an, an inter- introduction to CrossFit. Like, congrats. You're one of us now. Like wow. hazing. It's yeah. But, but it's not, again, that's not a necessarily a bad thing, but there's certainly some cultish stuff going on there. Yeah. You know, it's funny and it's different for each sort of sect of CrossFit. Yeah. Right. I, yeah. I dated a gal for a while who was really into CrossFit, but there was no puking and and so it seems like it was less over the top or maybe she simply just didn't buy into it and refused to and and because of the sort of loose nature it's not forced it's not prescribed that one must puke in order to be part of this this cult other cults you know if you had a nexium like uh, so we can even talk about Nexium, and yeah. to me, that's one of the most fascinating ones of mm. recent times. Because what a great documentary! Well, I, I watch any of these. Or Osho is another great example yeah. here. Like, there's some really great wisdom at the fundament of these things. Of course, and yeah. it gets destroyed and bastardized. Like Osho has tremendous great wisdom. Yes, yes. and then you have this 
group of people who like took that to control others. Totally. Mm. I mean, and this is another one of the myths that I hope to dispel in my book. You know, we all come up in this culture that tells us those who are most likely to join cults are desperate, disturbed, intellectually deficient. I would never wind up in a group like that. Mm. You know, we watch these cult documentaries, which often portray these stories in a pretty like sensational way for entertainment purposes. And we look at them and we tell ourselves like, oh, that would never be me. You know, I'm smarter. I'm more skeptical. And I think we do that out of self-protection. You know, we want to tell ourselves that we're safe. Um, But the truth is that, first of all, why would anyone join a group that presented its most dangerous uh, requirements up front? You know, they camouflage all of that stuff. They present you with the most attractive things about the group in the beginning. They love bomb you, as it's often called in the literature. They shower you with attention and, you know, promises for you know, the access to this transcendent wisdom, these opportunities to change the world, and then they slowly but surely introduce you to the the harder stuff to to chew on and swallow. <laughs> yeah. What a metaphor is that? But people <laughs> who are truly most likely to join cults, as I learned throughout my research, um, were people who were incredibly bright and service oriented mm. and their fatal flaw I found from one person to the other was not desperation. It's, it was an overabundance of idealism. Yeah. It was this faith mm. that solutions to the world's most urgent problems could be found. And by affiliating with this group or this guru yeah. that they could be a part of that change. They also had like a certain amount of privilege. You know, they had resources and connections that would help them not break down quickly when, you know, invariably the group's promises didn't come true. Why would a cult want someone who was desperate and disturbed? They want someone who's going to have enough like chutzpah and optimism to stick it out. They don't want to have to take care of you. They want you to sort of help take care of the group. Exactly. Yeah. Let's get more specific here for a moment. So let's talk about what characteristics make up a cult. When we think about a cult in a traditional sense, maybe we could even talk about Nexium or show or other specific cults, what characteristics do they tend to share? Sure. Well, some scholars have tried to come up with lists of criteria for, you know, like what makes a cult and um, this these criteria are, are by no means objective, but some things might be, you know, us, them dichotomy, ends justify the means philosophy, mm. a charismatic leader at the top, maybe supernatural beliefs. Um, but what's funny is that, well, I guess not funny. Why do people say that? It's, they mean know, it, is fun, it is funny it is, how we always use the word is, funny. It is, it is curious, <laughs> I suppose, how um, you can go down that list and not every group that I think we would agree would fall into the cult category will check off every box. For example, QAnon. I think most of us can agree at this point this is like a pretty dangerous cult. Sure. But there is no one charismatic unifying leader. Like this mm. is a social media cult that sort of gathers online uh, on like a yeah. you know, like a Reddit headquarters and and so There are cults that won't meet every criteria that I just listed, but there are, you know, mainstream groups from Silicon Valley companies to government bodies to mainstream religions that that really do. Um, But I do talk about um, what I think are some uh, linguistic 
uh, red flags yes. that you can uh, clock and know like, oh, that's that's definitely on the more destructive end of the cult spectrum. And I what are some of those? Yeah, yeah. well, uh, I'll start with the cult language technique that I'm probably asked about the most because it's the sort of thing where once you understand what it is, you won't be able to unhear it. Yeah. Um, it's a cult language technique called the thought terminating cliche. Yeah. Uh, this is a phrase that was coined in the early 60s by a psychologist named Robert J. Lifton, and it describes a sort of stock expression that's easily memorized, easily repeated, and aimed at shutting down independent thinking or questioning. Mm. So questioning, scrutiny, obviously the enemy to any destructive cults. They want to minimize pushback as much as possible so that they can remain in unquestioned power. Mm. So they're going to need a repertoire of these really catchy semantic stop signs, if you will, so that when anyone, you know, raises their hand, they're like, why, you know, mm -hmm. why aren't we allowed to go to school on the outside or, you know, why this, why that? Mm -hmm. They'll be able to meet them with one of these phrases and silence that person for a bit so that they can hang on to power. And these phrases are really effective because they alleviate cognitive dissonance or that uncomfortable discord yeah. you feel when you hold two conflicting ideas in your mind at the same time. Like, oh shit, I feel like something is really amiss in this group, but also I've been here for 10 years and I love this group and I trusted them and they promised me these things. So we're talking about Nexium. A thought terminating cliche that was used a lot in Nexium was um, to dismiss a valid concern or doubt as a limiting belief. Mm -hmm. um, or mm -hmm. to say something like that's an NLP thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Neuro linguistic programming for <laughs> the listeners, but um, or to say, you know, well, don't let yourself be ruled by fear. When someone is bringing up, you know, a question or concern um, to say something like, you know, well, why don't you why don't you sit with that? Why don't you take a moment and sit with that? These mm. are sort of these like bastardized Buddhist teachings almost. Right. Um, and QAnon thought terminating cliches. Some people might be familiar with these phrases. Um, things like trust the plan or um, well, I did my research. Of course, yeah. research for QAnoners involves, uh, let's just say, not peer-reviewed studies from the NIH. Right. <laughs> um, so, but thought terminating cliches actually show up in our everyday lives in the form of phrases like, well, boys will be boys, mm. or um, everything happens for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. So we use these in our everyday lives. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, however, when you're in this sort of tight-knit cultish community and you find that Every time you try to question something, even casually, you're met with one of these phrases where there's this overabundance of thought terminating cliches in the vocabulary of the leaders and their sort of, you know, tier of minions below them, anyone in power. That's kind of a signal that they're really trying to stifle your independent thinking mm -hmm. and encourage conformity. Yeah, yeah even, like with, sorry, even with the vernacular, like they will come up with different words and phrases that specifically is for that group. So with Scientology, like when you're talking, if two Scientologists are talking with one another, they know very quickly that they're both Scientologists Absolutely, because of the vernacular that they it's use. It's this password, this signal, like I'm one of you. Mm. And I include actually a sample conversation in the book between two high ranking Scientologists and you can't understand what the hell they're saying. Right. But I think, you know, the special buzzwords are really effective and often taken for granted. You know, we, we grew up with phrases like sticks and stones will break your bones, but words can never hurt you. And that really overlooks the fact that words have this material power to mm. divide us, to shape our worldview, to obscure truths. 
Um, and even just having buzzwords like in Scientology, for example, um, outsiders are referred to as SPs, which stands for suppressive person. Mm. Um, and that's a really <laughs> loaded phrase. And actually, they would they would yeah. use that in Nexium too. Nexium co-opted a lot of Scientology terms. Oh, wow. wow. L. Ron yeah. Hubbard was like this space fantasy buff who just like took it way too far. Yeah. Um, and he was a fan of technical jargon from fields like uh, software engineering and linguistics. And so he would take a lot of words that sounded scientific, you know, real words that have specific definitions in one of these technical fields. And he would deliberately and slowly twist the meaning so that they would have a new kind of vague and really emotionally charged Scientology specific definition. Mm. Um, but when you have this special language that only insiders know, it instantly imbues you with this sense of elitism. Mm. Like I, I sometimes uh. make the comparison that like, you know, you remember on the playground when you learn pig Latin? Oh yeah, right. And you feel so, can I curse? Yes. You feel so fucking special <laughs> that you learn, that you know how yeah. to speak this special language yeah. that other kids don't. And you, you're not saying anything with this language that can't be said in plain English. Mm -hmm. You're speaking lang English with just like a slight phonological twist. Mm -hmm. um, but you instantly feel like you're on the inside. Mm -hmm. Like you know something that others don't. You're mm -hmm. intellectually and morally superior because you can speak this language. Yeah. And those are these drives for like insider knowledge and closure and community that these destructive cultish leaders take advantage of. Oh man, it makes me think of Jehovah's Witnesses, like just growing up in that with the, the language, with the thought terminating cliches. Um, so you know, so for context, it, Ryan grew up age in a cult, Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I've, yeah, I've talked about it on the podcast a lot. So let's let's look at like how do you or what are some of the signs you gave some of them with uh, the linguistic stuff? What are some other signs that a cult might not be healthy? Like for me, there are two things that like clearly stand out: thought terminating cliches that stop you from having your own thoughts, right? And, and what is the cost when you leave the cult? Totally. So those are like two that stand out. Is there anything else that... Yeah, th that's a huge one. Your exit costs. Um, how difficult is it to leave? When you leave, are you going to have, you know, these irrational fears that aliens are going to come get mm. you? I mean, that sounds absurd, but a high-ranking Scientologist will have that fear that this sort of like extraterrestrial energy will be so dangerous that it will kill them within 12 days or something. Oh, wow. Um, so, God, fun fact also, I live very near to the Scientology headquarters orders uh, on sunset and I'm always afraid that they're going to come get me. <laughs> 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 Actually, fun fact, I don't like look up coverage of like my book anymore because that's unhealthy. But earlier <laughs> when my book first came out, I saw that um, a Scientologist read it, which is so against the rules. Uh, yeah. My book would be considered black PR to a Scientologist. Oh, it means like any negative press man. or anything. Jehovah's Witnesses would call it uh, apostate. Apostate. Apostate information. See, yeah. every cult has their own little flavor mm -hmm. depending on the ideology. Um, but yeah, but it's all the same you know you're trying to psychologically yeah. or physically right. separate people don't from read the outside. anything that we don't write exactly yeah. because you know that's contaminated that's not trustworthy they're just trying to they don't understand us they're yeah. trying to undo this beautiful thing that we're trying to accomplish so this is a sign too don't if, if you're if your cult is saying hey don't look at any information outside of the information we give you that's probably a, a huge bad, red a flag yeah. but the Scientologist read it against the rules I suppose and um, tweeted some blog post called like Amanda Montel needs to calm down <laughs> about Scientology <laughs> and I was like the funny thing about that is that I 
I would love to calm down. <laughs> You're like, they're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need to meditate more. Yeah. I would love to calm down. Yeah. But um, yeah, so I think absolutely. If they're encouraging you not to seek out um, dissenting information mm-hmm. or to you know mix up the resources that you're reading and consuming, um, if they are not being super upfront about what your membership requires, um, mm. and Ooh, if they yeah. make you feel special literally just for showing up, like not by doing anything or or providing anything, you know, if a, if a piece of language makes you feel sort of morally superior and divorced from some one-dimensionally inferior other, literally just for being on the inside, that's a massive red flag because it shows that they're trying to separate you for for what reason? Yeah. To empower the person at the top. Yeah. Yeah. Danny, if we have any questions from the live stream, uh, by the way, we're streaming this live on oh, Patreon. <laughs> Shout out to our Patreon supporters, theminimalists.com slash Actually, yeah, theminimalist.com slash Patreon or patreon.com slash theminimalist. Either one of those <laughs> will work for you. Google will figure it out. Yeah, right. yeah you get, because this podcast is brought to you by nobody because advertisements suck, but it's right. really brought to you by our patrons. If we have any questions, yeah. Alabama can read one if you got it. But before we get there, uh, I just wanted to get into some specifics here since we did have questions about, okay, Jehovah's Witnesses. We've identified definitely a call, we're, right? We're, we got to unpack that in the maximal though. Like, yeah. I, th- I think we could probably spend an hour just, I could spend an hour with Amanda just talking about Jehovah's Witnesses. A thousand percent. In, in you could spend a whole book on it. Right. You know? There are books on it. There sure <laughs> right. are. There sure are. Uh, yeah. And we talked about Scientology, but uh, Mormons, they seem like the nicest. Like oh, some of my man. best friends are, are, are Mormons. Yeah, they're so nice. And Jehovah's Witnesses are nice too. Yeah, but yeah, they don't okay. shun the same way. I mean, true. The, Mormons don't shun the same way that's that true. Jehovah's Witnesses do. Well, probably because Mormons are trying to get you in. Right. Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's speculation. So, no shade. Well, a little no. bit. <laughs> but they're just better at getting people in. Ryan used to go door to door every weekend. His clo- I mean, and he's a great salesperson. He right? is. Yeah, he never I converted anyone. No. All my, my Mormon friends. It was zero percent. Oh no. Yeah, conversion just, rate. Isn't it funny? The internet is such a cult. Now that conversion rate, that's like an internet like business term. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Right. And and so, what about some of these others? We talked a bit about CrossFit, but. You know, just mainstream Christianity. We had people arguing in the comments, like clearly Christians are all cult members. And they're like, well, no, I'm, I'm not. But this other version of Christianity is. Mm. And I've been really fascinated with this podcast. And I, this is right up your alley. There's this, uh, this church in Seattle called Mars Hill that there was this huge scandal. I'm sure uh-huh. you read it. Mark Driscoll. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's a podcast about how, you know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And I mean, this was sort of the the prototype of that where like it was a regular Christian church, but then one guy's demand for power and conformity. And now all of a sudden he's making up odd rules like yoga is demonic. Sure. You start realizing like, Oh, something that turned out that started out that didn't seem cultish at all quickly can turn into something that feels very cultish. Oh, absolutely. According to how much power the person at the top desires and how much they're actively seeking. Mm. Um, but I think something that is also a little, I mean, the, the cultiest thing about Mormonism that's <laughs> controversial mm. to me is um, just like the born and bred missionary aspect. And this yeah. is why Mormons are um, so good at uh, selling for multi-level marketing companies. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Like Utah is the unofficial multi-level marketing capital of the world um, because the MLM model and the like Mormon model really 
pair nicely. It works really well. You know, when you yeah. come to someone with like the good news of a once in a lifetime opportunity that'll change your world forever. Yeah, it could be Mormonism or, or Amway. Or Amway, <laughs> truly. I mean, there's no coincidence that so many MLMs are Christian or Mormon affiliated. I'll just say that. Um, but yeah, I mean, G- like Jesus Christ, again, like controversial, but Jesus Christ was like the ultimate cult leader. Yeah, you know what I mean? And course. again, like we have this perception that cult leader is inherently negative, inherently destructive, but there really is no hard and fast definition. And, no. and the term cult leader is not enough to describe how dangerous someone really is. But, you know, this and and what's funny is that Annexium did this. Um, a lot of these groups will try to, um, you know, twist the meaning of the word cult as a defense uh, mechanism for themselves. Like, um, so Sarah Edmondson was the one of the stars of the Vast. Um, she's the one with the dark hair and the branding yeah and um, she's explained to me she's a podcast too it's great it's called a little bit culty Um, shout out Uh, that's her podcast not mine love her anyway her her, Amanda's podcast is called sounds like a cult true and uh, basically they break down a thing so is Tony Robbins a cult or um, the cult of feet like fraternities and sororities yeah zeitgeisty cults Um, but Sarah was talking to me how they had you know pre-planned defenses whenever someone would accuse Nexium members of being in a cult, they would be like, yeah, you know, if a cult is just a, a tight community of thinkers and believers who are trying to make the world better, then yeah, I guess we are a cult uh, with like these, you know, starry eyes. And it's like, well, red flag. Um, yeah. But I also do find that if someone gets instantly defensive about the community that they're involved with being a cult, uh, that's that's a bit of a red flag as well because yeah. I interviewed, you know, s- s- countless sources for this book from Heaven's Gate survivors to diehard soul cyclers and Mm. I you know I would ask them every single time like how do you feel about the word cult like if someone you know says you were in a cult how do you feel about it and those who instantly are like we hate that word we don't use that word Mm. um, I was like I wonder why I wonder why you can't even have a conversation about it Um, a few years ago I uh, I interviewed the who was then like brand some bullshit higher up like C-suite title at SoulCycle um, and I asked her how she felt about SoulCycle being you know a cult follower Sparky group. Well, 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 yeah anyway I forget yeah. yeah well and she was like oh no 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 we don't use that word we say community mm. and I'm like why are you so why are you pressed right. like why are you concerned yeah I mean it, what fundamentally what we're talking about here we, we get re- and you're a linguist so you, you get this but like I'm sort of an anti-linguist in many ways because I always appreciate the essence of what we're talking about. So sometimes people use the word cult to be completely dismissive. I'm not even going to consider that. I'm not going to talk about it's it. It's a thought terminating cliche we in use. Itself, yes. In itself. Yeah, you're brainwashed. That can be used to silence conversations. And then the opposite is also true, right? Where it's like, oh, we don't use that word yeah. at all. And so that's another type of just simply being dismissive. Yeah. Now, I'm not to say there are certainly times to be dismissive. If someone's mm. being egregious or violent 100%. or abusive. Yeah. Yes, we can do whatever we can to protect ourselves, to extract ourselves from that situation. But um, it's fascinating to me that a lot of these these groups we wouldn't think of as cults, they still have that that cultish behavior. Mm-hmm. And some of these these thought terminating mantras, you know, the the one that you know we hear recently is um, trust the science because it sounds so beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But it's also like that now people because I totally get trust the science. Yeah. yeah. 
but now we're using that to dismiss people as well, sure. right? And, peop- and you know, yeah. and it's it's a phrase that's been commandeered in this really cultish way, um, and it sort of like takes away from the underlying message or the specifics of the message. Again, it's sort of used to divide people into an us and a them, um, and it's really powerful to get someone to rally around a phrase like that um, because it shows instantly, like I'm affiliated with this group, yeah. I'm not going to engage with this other group. I I, I don't even want to hear the specifics of what they're talking about and this is part of why we have such wide ideological schisms in this in this culture right now and I think you know social media doesn't help uh, a lot of I mean I say this jokingly but I mean it seriously the algorithm is the ultimate cult leader because Ooh. it just sends us down these rabbit holes encouraging us to believe more and more extreme versions of what we already do and the use of buzzwords and hashtags and labels is a huge part of how the algorithm works yeah the algorithm Rhythm is the ultimate cult leader. You can tweet that podcast on. That is good. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> let's uh, let's soon uh, turn into our Patreon live stream. Alabama, what you got for us? We have a question from A in United Kingdom. Can you further explain the U.S. centric terms being used? I only know about CrossFit. They have them everywhere. Mm. Okay, so what are some U.S. centric terms? Maybe uh, Soul Cycle. That that seems like it's. It's permeated the borders of the UK, though. Yeah. Um, so funny. The word soul is in the title. It's like they're trying to sell you your soul back to you yeah. uh, in these workout classes. I will comment really quickly on why the U.S. in particular seems to have this very consistent relationship with cults. Um, you know, uh, scholars have found, I, I always laugh when I say scholars have found. Um, <laughs> You're so smart, yeah, Amanda. The, the appeal to authority, which is another kind of cult. Yeah, right. The cult of authority. Yeah. The cult of authority, the cult of academia. Um, oh, we can talk about that. But anyway, um, yeah, but, you know, folks have found that in most developed nations that have relatively high standards of living, long life expectancies, high education levels, people tend to be less religious. People just tend to believe less. Um, But the U.S. is an outlier. The U.S. is actually the opposite um, in that we have, you know, this relatively high standard of living debatable, but I'm talking about comparatively with the world. And yet there are so many believers here um, in terms of traditional religion and also these, these fringier beliefs. And some think that that is because while in places like Japan and Scandinavia and Canada, there are so many social safety nets for folks. Like when you lose your job or you get very Uh, sick, there are institutions from the top down that are there to catch you when you fall, when you're, you know, down and out. But we lack a lot of that support in the mm -hmm. United States. And so people feel sort of like, existentially unmoored they're just like all on their own um and combined with you know values of individualism and such uh we tend to turn to these alternative sources to find that support and some of these alternative sources these cultish groups are mostly harmless or even really constructive Mm -hmm. but a lot of them take advantage of those vulnerabilities and so we find that you know whenever i talk about my book to americans they're like "Ooh, cults i get it right away and when I describe the book to you know folks abroad, sometimes they're like cults. What? Why? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is a very American thing. It is. Well, it's interesting how in your book you talk about you know different times or like wh- how cults really start, why they start, and what I got from it. And maybe you can expound on this a little bit more. But it's like when when there's uh, an anti a person who's anti religion 
in or anti mainstream religion mm-hmm. and anti government, mm-hmm. they're like ripe for being a cult member. Oh, for sure. Because or starting a cult. You know, we're living in a time when there is this extreme mistrust of the government, the healthcare system, traditional religion. In large part for good reason, you know? Mm. Um, And there are always people who are going to swoop in and say, oh, no, I have the answers. Mm -hmm. You can't trust these groups anymore, but you can trust me. Mm. And this kind of sociopolitical turbulence is also what we saw during the 60s and 70s, which was another peak cult era in the U.S. with the Kennedy assassinations and the civil rights movement and the Vietnam War. You know, there was just so much unrest. Mm. Um, And we see that a lot now. Um, The difference between then and now, one of the differences is that then, and, you know, in order to start a cult, you needed you needed like an in-person location. Mm. You needed like a commune or a mansion. Right. You needed like the production <laughs> skills to organize and the oratory charisma to, you know, command an auditorium or, a, or you know, a pagoda. What? Full of people. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking of Jonestown. But yeah. nowadays you don't need any of those things because you can uh, start a cult on Instagram our, and our standards are so much lower now yeah, for cults. But, well, honestly, <laughs> and the barrier to entry is much lower. Now everybody yeah. who taps follow on someone and becomes a follower yeah. is not going to become a follower with a capital F, but enough people will that it becomes, you know, a concern. And what's weird now is that a lot of the people who have, you know, these sort of destructive cult followings on social media, whether we're talking about Q and honors or these sort of, you know, woo-woo wellness warriors who are, you know, only serving themselves or a lot of really, you know, frightening uh, Instagram therapists and such. Um, I would reckon that in person, they don't have too much charisma, Mm. but on social media, they're sort of able to feign it. It's a 2D charisma, not a 3D charisma. Mm, I like that. Yeah. uh, Let's talk about consumerism real quick, because there's sort of this cult of consumerism in a way, the consumer cult. And that's what Ryan and I have been working against for a while because we were members of that cult in our Mm. 20s. In fact, I would even argue we grew up really poor. We wanted to be part of that cult. If I could just buy the right things, then I'll be happy. My my mantra in my 20s was, I think I'll buy that. I'll put that on my credit card. Whatever it is, is consume, consume, consume more, more, more. The cult of more in a way. And we think that there's happiness there, just like people who join these other groups or cults. They think they're going to find happiness, but quite often it leads to our downfall. It leads to our discontent. That's such a good point because another sign of cultishness is when the group is promising you things that cannot fundamentally be fulfilled. You know, when you're in a soul cycle class and the implication is that you're you're not just getting in a workout that's going to, you know, get you sweating and get your heart rate up and maybe help you stay healthy. You're going to find the confidence here to overcome your disease if you're battling a disease Mm. the confidence to leave your abusive partner like these are the promises at play either explicit or implicit Mm -hmm. and the cult of consumerism the cult of you know oh gosh just this entire you know american culture that's entirely centered on like more 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 as you were saying is that by buying this product or by you know filling your home with these things you will almost achieve a transcendence like you will become happier overall which is utterly false and that is the most cultish thing about it i think oh man it makes tiktok that danny 
That's some good stuff. I got to move on to the lightning round real quick. Oh, man. All right. All we got right. so much more to talk about. We'll get to whatever you want to talk about on the private podcast okay, this okay. Thursday. But let's move on to the lightning round, Ryan. Uh, all right. We, so this is where we answer your text messages. You can text your questions. 937-202-4654. Now, we're crazy cult members. So uh, those texts literally go to both of our phones so people <laughs> can text us. We get thousands of texts. We do answer quite a few of them. But... Um, well, we a answer populist a cult. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes, wait yeah. a minute. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. The thing is, we don't actually don't want you to. I don't want to convert you into minimalism. No. I have no desire to force you into minimalism. If oh, you my get, God. Later, I'm going to have to tell you my minimalism story. Oh, yeah. Let's do the, it. We'll the, do su- it. The sub cult that you came up with. Yeah. yeah. We'll right. do it on the uh, the private podcast. Okay, but uh, so just so you know, during the lightning round, this is where Ryan and I and our guests, we do our best to answer questions with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response. We call okay. them minimal maxims. You might call them thought terminating cliches. <laughs> no way. We love a minimal maxim. That's actually great. That's so great. Y'all are well on your way oh, to starting one of these. That's right. That's right. <laughs> we got a question from Gloria. How is it that people in the cult don't see how it's hurting them when it's so obvious to everyone else? Now, uh, Amanda, one of my favorite lines from The Vow was the guy who was in the cult, he said, nobody joins a cult. You're recruited. Right. Yeah. Well, here's an analogy. Um, I often say that an abusive relationship with one person is just a cult of one. So if you've ever been in a toxic relationship with a partner, even a boss or a friend, and you're in it and everyone else around you can see it, whether they're telling you or not that this is unhealthy for you, but you can't, or you're trying to tell yourself that it's all going to be okay because certain biases come into play, like sunk cost fallacy and confirmation bias. You know, you want so badly to believe that this thing was all it was promised. If you've ever been in a one-on-one cultish relationship like that, you can understand what it would be like to be in a larger, more spiritual cult. Yeah. I got something pithy for you here. Every dogma comes prepackaged with a blindfold. Mm. And so mm. I think that um, quite often we, we, we get these ideas or these thoughts that people give us and we begin to hold them tightly because it makes us feel significant. It makes us feel accepted. Yeah. And those thoughts become beliefs. Those beliefs become ideologies. And we keep clinging and clinging and clinging. And eventually it becomes a dogma. And anytime someone tries to question it, we try to put up a fortress, a, a barrier to say, oh, no, no, I'm not part of a cult. That's mm. what other people do. No, 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 I'm not part of that. I'm superior to it. I'm not brainwashed. You're brainwashed. Yeah. Yeah, I would also argue that that blindfold is disguised as like a cool pair of sunglasses. Yeah. Like you don't even know it's a blindfold. Right. You know, because otherwise, why why would you put on a blindfold? You know, that's right. That's so true. Uh, My pithy answer is this. A self-righteous person is unable to see the truth. And I think about um, it made me think about my dad, this question, because he does not talk to me like mm-hmm. I am totally shunned. Wow. I'm not I wasn't kicked out of the of, of the Jehovah's Witness religion, but I am what, what is considered inactive. Mm. So um, because I'm inactive, my sister, she's the same way. She's inactive. Um, we both live with our romantic partners and we're not we don't have the piece of paper that says we're married. Mm-hmm. So because of, uh, you know, because of that and not being a member of the of the religion slash cult, um, he won't talk to me. And what, what it what's crazy is like my dad is one of the most loving people I know. Like he is. I know that he loves us um, ex- extreme with with extreme love. And what he does, though, is he has been uh, programmed to think 
that when he the, the bigger the sacrifice he can make for the religion for Jehovah the bit mm. the bigger sacrifice the more righteous he is mm. And so there is this sense of self-righteousness that he has that unfortunately uh, prevents him from seeing the damage that he's actually doing. Mm. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, uh, oh gosh, sometimes I'm like, where's the cult or religion that I can really sign up for? Because yeah. having like a set of rules like that is quite comforting mm. because the world the universe is is entropic right it's fundamentally chaotic by creation mm -hmm. and that sucks yeah. <laughs> like we want closure we want comfort like ever since the dawn of early humans we're like what do we do to feel better right. <laughs> you know yeah. even oh, when we goodness. were just spending our days focused on survival on finding food we were like what steps can we take to feel like we have purpose and meaning and like we're doing the right thing yeah and and to have this really precise system that tells you if you do this, you will get this, you will be rewarded in this way. I mean, I can see why someone would cling so tightly to that. I mean, yeah. I was not conditioned in that way. Mm. I was I was brought up in this house of scientists, but that doesn't mean that I'm not under other types of cultish influence. Yeah, I, I if I could take the blue pill. I would take it honestly. <laughs> but like the problem is, is like now that I see a lot of the religions and the Bible and things for what they actually are, it's like, you can't go back. Like once you, once you see it, you can't unsee it. But yeah. to your point, yes. Like when I was a Jehovah's witness, I had all the answers. I knew exactly why things were the way they were. I knew exactly where things were going, where they came from. It felt good. Yeah. It felt so good to have the answers. So if you get a blue pill, Josh, let me take it. <laughs> Called yeah, I mean, this is why conspiracy theories thrive during times of disorientation and confusion in the culture, because we want these sort of like simple explanations for things that feel inexplicable. And if there is an evil cabal of elites secretly controlling the sociopolitical order, it's like, oh, no wonder things suck. Right. Yeah. People are making it suck when really it's a more complex, you know, yeah. situation. There is no group of people that smart and intelligent <laughs> to make things as bad as they are. <laughs> yeah, for everyone. I mean, there yeah. are there are a lot of powerful, shitty people, but um, yeah. that's why I watch Succession, because I like to see it in a fantasy format. Any Succession fans <laughs> in the room? Nope. All right. That's I'll my cool. I saw, yeah, I saw the list. first season. It was not for me. Oh, okay. Ooh. Yeah, we'll keep going. Though. We got so much more to talk about. Mallory, what do you got for us? Here are some voicemail comments and insights from our listeners. Hi, this is Leslie from New York, and I just listened to your most recent podcast about careers. And I've actually been re-listening to some of the older podcasts, and I listened to one of the original career ones as well. And something I just wanted to say for some of the listeners who are struggling with their jobs not lining up to their, you know, their values is that I, I'm a CPA and I used to work in corporate finance and do a lot of uh, financial statement analysis and auditing for big corporations. And I was kind of getting, you know, disenfranchised and just not really loving what I was doing and, and what was the point. And what I do now is I still work as a CPA and I still do work as an auditor, but now I work for companies, um, I'm sorry, I should say I work for a firm that does a lot of work with not-for-profits. And so about 50% of my clients are not-for-profit organizations, and it's a good way to align my values with what I do for a living. I'm able to provide these not-for-profit associations with solutions to some of their financial issues, help them 
invest their money better and also uh, help ensure the donors that their money is being used in the way that they would hope it would be. So just a way, you know, just something to, for people to think about that you don't necessarily have to completely jump ship on your career to find a way to make it align better with their values. Hey there, I'm Krista from Chicago, and this tip is for Gina from episode 202, who was having trouble with consumerism after downsizing her wardrobe. I also faced this challenge, but I put a rule in place that has helped me make more deliberate and long-lasting purchases. When shopping, I make a list of the qualities the item must have for me to purchase it. For example, when I downsized, I realized I didn't have a good cold-weather dress. But instead of just going out and buying one, I made a list of the qualities the dress needed to have so it could remain versatile and practical. It needed to be warm, cocktail-length, and relatively minimal in design. That way, I could wear it to many occasions and for many years without it looking out of place or out of style. When I went shopping for the dress, I stuck to those three qualities because if it didn't satisfy all three of those needs, I knew I would just end up looking for another one later. When I finally found the right one, I bought it, and I've worn it for the last six years without ever feeling an urge to shop for another. This rule really helps me identify why I need an item, and it can easily be applied not only to clothing, but to any potential purchase. All right, y'all. Big thanks to Amanda Montel for joining us today. Check out her new book. It's called Cultish, The Language of Fanaticism. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. We're also going to put a link to her podcast, which is called Sounds Like a Cult. You can check out both. If you have a question, comment, or minimalism tip for our podcast, go ahead and give us a call. 406-219-7839 or email a voice memo to podcast at theminimalists.com. By the way, Ryan... We got a bunch more surprise questions this week. Heck yeah. Like, what would make minimalism a cult? How do you free yourself from the pain and move past the family that raised you in a cult-like environment? And why does Amanda Montel hate the word panties? <laughs> Can't wait to find out. Plus a million more questions for Amanda and the Minimalists. And if you want to hear all that, check out the Minimalist private podcast this week. Visit patreon.com slash the Minimalist to subscribe and get your personal link so that our weekly private podcast plays in your favorite podcast app. You'll also gain immediate access to hundreds of hours of private archives, recordings of live events, exclusive home tours, and our private community of thousands of open-minded minimizers like you. That's a tongue twister, Ryan. <laughs> Say that five times fast. <laughs> All right. Open-minded minimizers. Open-minded minimizers. Open mi- okay, come on. <laughs> you can follow The Minimalists on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, at The Minimalists. If you want our podcast show notes in your inbox, sign up for our email list over at theminimalists.com. Ryan and I are out on tour right now. It's called the Love People Use Things Tour. You can find all the details at theminimalists.com slash tour. 20 cities in total. If you can't make it to any of those live events, you can find all 20 over on Patreon. On behalf of Ryan Nicodemus, Podcast Sean, Malabama, Jordan No More, Social Jess, Danny Unknown, Emma the Immigrant, and the rest of our team, I'm Joshua Fields Milburn reminding you to love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks for listening, y'all. We'll see you next time. Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing you think that you need Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'll be fine